Hey race fans, Mike Bachman here. Welcome to The Shakedown. We have a packed episode today. We will talk about the playoff race at Talladega this past weekend, which saw Denny Hamlin take the checkered flag in controversial fashion. We will look at the top finishers and, of course, discuss what transpired in the final moments of that race coming to the checkered. I'll give you my playoff power rankings heading into the final race of the round of 12 at the Roval. And we got to talk about Alex Bowman, man. He will be replacing Jimmy Johnson in the 48 car in 2021. I want to look at how Alex Bowman has gotten to this point after his, I would say, improbable rise to the highest level of NASCAR competition. And also, what does this mean for guys like Kyle Larson, Eric Jones, and other key playmakers in this year's silly season? It's going to be fun. Hope you guys are excited. So, without further ado, let's fire the engines. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Shakedown Podcast, the NASCAR podcast that breaks boundaries and stirs up controversy. I am your host, Mike Bachman. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Today is Wednesday, October 7th, 2020. Apologize that this is going up technically a day late. Uh, had an impromptu visit with the family yesterday. They came up uh, to, to my house to to see me. That was very, very nice. So I was tied up a little bit yesterday, wasn't able to get the time to record this. So was able to do this today and upload it here on Wednesday. So I apologize for that delay. But nonetheless, I appreciate you guys tuning in. And what a weekend it was uh, this past weekend at Talladega, that race. We will get into all of that. Uh, we've had a couple days to digest the carnage that did ensue during this past weekend's playoff race. And it wasn't without its drama, of course, but from the start, it appeared that it was going to be a long afternoon. I mean, hell, we had, what, three cautions in 12 laps? It was, uh, I think it was a record, and it was the longest Talladega race on record. And, you know, while fans may have not gotten the finish that they were hoping for, it will definitely be one that we will be talking about for a long time. So let's not waste any more time. Let's look at the top finishers. We're not going to spend too much on the top finishers because... The main topic here is the controversial finish, so we'll dive deeper into the controversy surrounding the finish of this race momentarily. So without further ado, let's get into this and recap Talladega. So it was Denny Hamlin who reigned victorious, winning his seventh race of the 2020 season, now tied with Bill Elliott for 18th on NASCAR's all-time win list. So yet another feat for Denny Hamlin, uh, continuing to win in 2020. It's been documented it's no question that he and Kevin Harvick continue to be the class of the field and in such an unpredictable race an unpredictable track where anything can happen uh, Denny Hamlin once again wins and it was another photo finish and yet another Matt Benedetto heartbreak I mean this guy man I feel for him it's the second straight week De Benedetto was in position to win we remember the first race of the round of 12 where De Benedetto was in position at Vegas, unfortunately was not able to close the deal and cash the check in Vegas. It was Kurt Busch that won that. And now here at Talladega, De Benedetto was in position to win, uh, coming up just short. But I guess in retrospect, it is better that De Benedetto finished second because if he did finish first in this race, that finish would have been disqualified for the penalty that was called on him for forcing William Byron below the yellow line. But we'll We'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, this was also his second runner-up finish, spoiled by Denny Hamlin. We remember Bristol last year, 2019, when uh, he found out he wasn't going to be returning to Levine Family Racing. Put together an incredible race. Uh, was not able to close the deal there. Denny Hamlin, un 
was in position, capitalized on that, and won. So Denny Hamlin has spoiled the party for DiBenedetto and DiBenedetto fans, uh, just waiting for him to see that first career win, and now the first the hundredth career win for Wood Brothers and Wood Brothers number twenty one. So. It was very unfortunate, especially with the speculation surrounding Matt Benedetto's contract. Nothing has been reported yet. Everything still seems to be on the table. We are unsure if he is going to be uh, returning to the 21 in 2021. So still waiting on that. But Matt Benedetto, you know, fighting for his life, has been for the past couple of years, taking every opportunity that he can. And he has been performing decent. You know, he has been a little inconsistent. But, I mean, this year, you know, securing a playoff berth, I mean, was it's leaps and bounds ahead of what Paul Menard was driving. So Matt Benedetto doing everything that he can. And if he did win this race, probably would have sealed the deal. You know, a lot of teams wait for that breakthrough win when the contract talks are still on the table. You know, we, we've seen with Eric Jones. Uh, we've seen with other drivers as well. You know, it's that one win that really elevates them in, in the team's eyes, at least. Uh, but Matt Benedetto for sure, is this is another one that stings. And, I mean, you could just tell in this post-race interview, extremely emotional. It was, it, was heart, it was heart-wrenching, to be honest, to watch that. But, again, another strong performance for Benedetto, And looking ahead to yet another track where he, is, where he could make some noise in the Charlotte Roval uh, going into this weekend. So, uh, just credit to Matt Benedetto for putting together a solid race. Uh, but, once again, Denny Hamlin spoiling the party. Uh, I guess better Denny Hamlin than NASCAR spoiling the party because they were gonna, going to have to disqualify him for his move on William Byron. But with that said, let's talk about the yellow line, the yellow line rule. Let's just get into this because this was the main storyline surrounding this race. And, you know, this race being the longest on record and with everything that had transpired, uh, it was a tough, tough, tough call for NASCAR. So what exactly did did transpire? So... You know, we talk about Matt Benedetto. He did force William Byron below the yellow line, coming out of turn four. Denny Hamlin was right there. Hamlin went below the line to avoid the wreck. Uh, but you can clearly see that Denny Hamlin rid the apron for the remainder of the corner. Uh, NASCAR did not penalize Hamlin for advancing his position below the yellow line because he was, quote-unquote, forced down there to, quote-unquote, avoid the wreck. Now, what does this mean? You know, did NASCAR make the right call? Because, like I said earlier in my introduction, as long as this race was, I mean, I'll just be honest, nobody wanted to see Denny Hamlin win that race based on everything that happened. Uh, Denny Hamlin, who was riding in the back for most of the race and then just came out of nowhere when most of the field got, got, got wrecked out, uh, he was there at the end. He was, I believe, sixth at the white flag and then by mere feet, uh, if that was able to secure the win. But did NASCAR make the right call for not penalizing Denny Hamlin for advancing his position below the yellow line? In consistency with the calls made during the race, I would say they did make the right call because NASCAR made it clear that they were penalizing drivers, forcing others below the yellow line. We saw this with Benedetto; He was penalized for forcing Byron below the yellow line. Uh, Chris Buescher at the end of the race was penalized for forcing... Chase Elliott below the yellow line. Originally, Chase Elliott was penalized for advancing his position on on Chris Buescher below the yellow line, but it was then appealed and protested by Hendrick Motorsports, and thus that penalty was then changed and put on Chris Buescher, who forced 
Chase Elliott below that yellow line. So Chase Elliott was not penalized. And we saw Joey Logano get penalized twice for doing this during the race as well. So inconsistency with how NASCAR was calling this penalty in the race, I would say they did make the right call. But in accordance with the rule itself and with what I myself and I believe others have interpreted this rule, they made the wrong call. And honestly, it's more frustrating than anything because, you know, I don't know if anybody fully understands what the yellow line rule means. I was always under the impression that if a driver advances their position below the yellow line, they will be penalized whether they were forced down there or not. If a driver is forced down below the yellow line, they will be penalized regardless if they advance their position or not. I thought that was clear cut. I thought that's exactly what NASCAR was trying to do. I thought that's exactly what the rule meant. No matter what the circumstance, whether you're forced down there or not, if you advance your position and do not uh, then give it up, you will be penalized. I understand that NASCAR does not want to be put in these positions, especially after such such a long race with so many cars wrecked and then you know having to revise the penalties at the end of the race and trying to do this, that, and the other thing. I mean, it's just it's more frustrating than anything because... It's not clear. It's not clear what the rule is. You know, Denny Hamlin should have been penalized. It's clear on video, clear as day, that he rid the apron and advanced his position. I mean, it's also clear that Matt Benedetto did force William Byron below the yellow line. And Denny Hamlin, yes, at a particular moment, did have to avoid the wreck, but not... In the manner that he did. Because he just totally, totally used that to advance his position. And Denny Hamlin should be penalized. The winner of this race should be Eric Jones. The third place car. With Denny Hamlin advancing his position after getting forced down there. And then Matt Benedetto getting penalized for forcing Byron down there. It should The winner should be Eric Jones. You know, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just tough. It's a tough call for NASCAR. And it's just unfortunate that races like this have to come down to these judgment calls. And NASCAR itself doesn't want to be put in these positions. You know, they recognize, too, that drivers are being too aggressive. This was via Scott Miller, the senior VP of competition. But NASCAR is not, it's not NASCAR's place to step in and control how aggressive drivers are racing. Yes, when you have Talladega in the middle of the round of 12 or in the middle of any round in the playoffs, with the playoff system that we currently have when winning means everything and stage points mean everything and with such an unpredictable race on a super speedway where literally anything can happen of course guys are going to be aggressive i mean clint boyer said it himself he, he triggered the multi-car accident trying to get stage points nobody wants to be the driver that causes wrecks but when points are so valuable in this current playoff system this stuff is going to happen but i just don't believe that nascar is in the right place to step in and control how aggressive drivers are racing because what do you expect them to do? What do you expect them to do? And why should you be put in a position to now make even more judgment calls? Whether that means eliminating the yellow line rule, uh, adjusting the rules package, I mean, whatever the case may be, at the end of the day, these are the best stock car drivers, crew chief spotters in the entire country. And a lot of people point to this type of rules package, which, first of all, this super speedway package is incredible. I don't care what anybody says. This super speedway racing, at least with the Gen 6 car, has been incredible this year. They did revise it after the Ryan Newman wreck uh, at Daytona earlier this year. Uh, but nonetheless, it's been incredible. 
And there is no denying that the fall Talladega race is usually when the most carnage happens because guys are doing everything they can to capitalize on points and put themselves in a better position to be above the cut line. Nobody wants to be below the cut line heading into the final race. And this race at Talladega, unfortunately, has heavy implications for for these types of things. You know, NASCAR shouldn't be in the position to make those judgment calls. If if stock car, if driver, crew chief, spotter cannot put together clean blocks or make judgment calls themselves, then that's on them. I mean, we could see the momentum of the draft and how much these runs are. And if drivers are putting on bad blocks and if they're trying to hold their position, which, you know, in their defense, they should however it should be in good judgment, then that's on them. We should not be adjusting this rules package. Uh, I do not believe that we should eliminate the yellow line rule because it is in place for a reason. It, it isn't out of bounds. You know, if, if drivers were trying to make the apron work, uh, it's just not going to happen. You know, personally, I just believe that it just will make matters worse and possibly wreck even more cars. I know Dale Jr. on the broadcast called to eliminate the yellow line rule entirely just because of the confusion and the frustration that surrounds it because it's so unclear exactly what it is. NASCAR needs to make it clear what the penalty is. Will you penalize drivers no matter what the circumstance if they advance their position below the yellow line? It's just a tough, tough call, and it's just very frustrating trying to wrap your head around all of it. I have an idea. Why don't we just eliminate super speedway racing from the playoffs entirely? I know maybe fans might not want to see that. But come on. Your blood pressure's boiling. Drivers are doing everything they can to stay alive because they know if carnage ensues, that heavily hinders their chance at advancing. But there's just, again, so many judgment calls that have to be made when things like this happen. And when there is so much on the line because drivers will push the envelope as far as they can... What do you expect them to do? Oh, NASCAR's concerned that drivers are being too aggressive. Well, what the hell, man? What do you expect? It's super speedway racing. In the current playoff system that we have, these things matter. Guys are going to do whatever they can to push the envelope and try and be up there. Because that's the environment now. That's what this playoff system has created. You know, it's created closer racing. But it has also created, you know, a little bit of an unbalance, at least in my eyes, between how much winning matters and how much being consistent means. So why don't we just eliminate super speedway racing from the playoffs entirely and just get rid of this entire headache, especially if you if if you don't want to see more torn up cars. Uh, I do understand their concern, especially with the. Uh, danger involved in super speedway racing with how fast these guys are going with the the heavy impact that these guys are making with the uncertainty of cars getting airborne we almost saw that twice why don't we just eliminate super speedway racing from the playoffs entirely if we're going to keep this playoff system that's my that's my idea nonetheless this race had many cautions many drivers were torn up sheet metal uh, but I do want to shout out a couple drivers earning career best finishes, guys that don't get the airtime every week. Uh, Ty Dillon, John Hunter Nemechek, Brennan Poole, Quinn Half, Joey Gase, Cody Ware, James Davison, all earning career best finishes this weekend. So good for them. Uh, 
but man, just what a what a headache, <laughs> to be honest. You know, I talked about how incredible the Spring Talladega race was. One of the best races I the best one of the best races I've ever seen uh, as a fan. And you know, now with with this race and you know everything that's transpired with it, uh, it's just a headache. I think a lot of people are, we're going to be talking about it for years to come. It's one of the most controversial finishes in NASCAR history. Uh, NASCAR just needs to make it clear cut what this yellow line rule means. Again, I don't think that it should be eliminated, but I think it needs to be cut and dry exactly what the penalty is, no matter what the circumstance, whether you are forced down there or not. If you advance your position below the yellow line and do not give it up within a certain time frame, you should be penalized. That's it. Um, but that's enough of that. I just had to vent a little bit because, again, I don't think a lot of people... It's not the finish that people wanted to see. Nobody wanted to see Denny Hamlin win that race. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm happy for Denny Hamlin. He's had an incredible season this year. Um, still running for a championship. But just based on everything and just based on how I know NASCAR fans react, some of the most vocal fans out there on social media, uh, it's not what fans wanted to see and just... With the way that it transpired and how Hamlin won the race, it just made matters even worse. But let's take a look at the playoff picture right now because, well, actually not much has changed. I feel for Kyle Busch because Kyle Busch almost salvaged his entire day up until the final wreck in the trioval, basically yards away from the leaders taking the white flag. And, you know, Kyle Busch will tell you it's still 2020. We all know it's still 2020. But Kyle Busch, currently 21 points below the cut line, tied with Austin Dillon. Clint Boyers, 38 points below the line. And Al Marola, 48 points below the line. You know, it was going to be tough for these guys, regardless to elevate themselves above the cut line. But I feel for Kyle Busch uh, because he was so close, so close being able to ride himself out of there and come away with a better fit, with a better points day. But unfortunately, it just wasn't meant to be for him. And now heading into the Charlotte Roval, these guys are going to have to put together some big-time performances. How realistic is that? Well, let's take a look now at my playoff power rankings. We do this uh, every Tuesday, but we're doing it on a Wednesday today. We rank each playoff driver based on their performance from last week and how they fare going into the following week. In this case, it's the Charlotte Roval. So here are my power rankings post-Daladega with number 12, Eric Almirola. Once again, Eric Almirola's fate rests in the hands of the Charlotte Roval. He's got two top 10s in 20 road course races and finishes of 14th and 19th at the Roval. You know, Eric Almirola, I was hard on Eric Almirola. Let me just say this. When the, when the season first started, I didn't think Eric Almirola was going to make the playoffs. I didn't think he was going to be a factor at all. I just didn't believe in Eric Almirola, but he proved me wrong and had an incredible run of top 10s mid in the midseason. And, you know, he was one of those drivers just based on consistency that if if his consistency, you know, kept up with how he was running for the remainder of the regular season and also heading into the playoffs, you know, Eric Almirola could have been in a really, really good spot just based on uh, the point accumulation and just based on how consistent he was running. But... Unfortunately, he's going to need to win at the Charlotte Roval to make it to the round of eight. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, it was a good run for Eric Almirola, but I believe that his time is done. Number 11, we have Austin Dillon, who can technically point his way into the next round, but I do believe that that is unlikely. 
And he's another driver, you know, that I've been tough on in his entire career. I give a lot of credit to Austin Dillon, who put together some big-time performances to get this far. You know, Austin Dillon is kind of like the Ryan Newman of last year, who was able to point his way into the playoffs and almost advance to, well, Newman, in his case, advanced to the round of 12, Austin Dillon now to the round of 8. So I give a lot of credit to Austin Dillon, who put together, again, some really, really big performances in the first round of the playoffs. But he's got no top 10s in his career on road courses. I just think that, again, it's this is it for Austin Dillon. Uh, but I give him a lot of credit, and he should have a lot of momentum and a lot of encouragement that RCR in general, with Tyler Reddick and Austin Dillon, that team really starting to mold together again. They should be encouraged for 2021, and I give Austin Dillon a lot of credit, but I just I believe that his time is done. Kyle Busch in at number 10. Like Austin Dillon, can technically point his way into the next round, but again, anything can happen. Kyle Busch has had success on road courses, but he's going to need a lot of help to point his way into the round of eight. Could this be the end of the playoff run for our defending champion Kyle Busch in an unorthodox, unpredictable 2020 season? It's looking more likely... And Kyle Busch predicted it himself. Uh, so even with that mindset, I just don't think it's going to happen. But despite the lack of success in 2020, Kyle Busch is still Kyle Busch and can pull through whenever. He's still driving for Joe Gibbs, the best team in, well, arguably the best team in NASCAR right now. Um, but this could be it. I don't know how much momentum Kyle Busch is going to have, but I think this could be it for our defending champion. Uh, Clint Boyer in at number nine. The final of the drivers below the cutoff line, and Boyer's basically in must-win territory, but he is one of the elite road course racers. He's got two top fives and two starts at the Roval, and there is a lot of pressure on Clint Boyer, not knowing if he's locked into the 14 car next year. Greg Zipadelli did say, uh, man, this is going back, I want to say at least a month ago now, that they did want to try and keep the current lineup at Stuart Haas. That includes Clint Boyer. But Chase Briscoe down there in the Xfinity Series won his eight races, which he believed was going to propel him to the Cup Series. The 32 car at GoFast is still an option. Obviously, Chase Briscoe, with a talent that he has, probably doesn't want to be in that ride. But they do have the SHR Alliance. Um, Clint Boyer right now trying to make the round of eight. He's going to be fighting, I believe. He could be fighting for his future this weekend. Starting now with the playoff drivers above the cut line, we have number eight at Joey Logano. Do you guys know Joey Logano has not won a race since Phoenix, since the final race, uh, which was the final race before the COVID-19 pandemic that put a halt to the season? He's not won a race since Phoenix, race number four, and he was the first driver to win multiple races. And he's currently eighth in the playoffs, a 21-point buffer. He's got two top tens in the last six races. It's been a little bit of a slump for Logano, but... A pair of 10th place finishes at the Roval is a good sign for him. Uh, Penske typically has run well here at the Roval. Ryan Blaney won the inaugural race. Uh, Brad, Kez Brad Keselowski led some laps last year. So Joey Logano should be in a good position. Again, 21 points above the cut line. He's got a pretty good buffer. Uh, should be able to do well here this weekend. Uh, seven is Kurt Busch. And yes, he's already locked into the route of eight. And I have made the case for Kurt Busch to make the championship for in my previous episodes, so if you want to go check that out, and if you haven't, please do so. Do I expect him to make much noise at the Roval? Not really. He's already locked into the to the to the round of eight, so I just don't I I don't think he's going to be a factor. That's why he's down here so low. Uh, number six is Alex Bowman, and Alex Bowman with a lot more to prove 
He's got the best average finish among active drivers in two races at the Roval. He's only 22 points above the cut line. So as long as he avoids trouble, the 88 will be in the round of eight. Um, there's really not much else to say. Alex Bowman's been very, very successful at, uh, with the early races here at the Roval. So I think he could be in position to win, especially salvaging his race at Talladega. We'll see what happens, but keep your eyes on Alex Bowman this weekend. Uh, top five, Martin Truex Jr. at number five. Like Boyer, one of the elite road course racers. Almost won the inaugural race in 2018, but we know how that transpired. And we're now seeing, uh, like with Joey Logano, the lack of wins coming into effect. You know, Martin Truex Jr., who was, you know, finishing second, third, second, third, you know, week in and week out in the midseason, but unable to pull through and win, you know, we're now starting to see that effect as we're getting deeper into the playoffs. Similarly with the with Logano, been consistent, was consistent midseason, now found himself in a little bit of a slump, and those lack of points are hurting him heavily. And the same goes with Martin Truex Jr. You know, MTJ should be a favorite this weekend, but he's going to have to come through big heading into the round of eight if he really wants to be in a better spot to secure a bid in the championship four. Chase Elliott. Number four, the defending winner of this race. The best road course racer in the Cup Series. It's hard to believe Chase won't be in contention this weekend. Uh, you know, similarly was able to survive Talladega. And with his penalty getting reversed, that was even better for Chase. So he will be up front, should be up front all day uh, if he's able to put together put together a perfect race. Again, last year. Went head first, pancaked the Tums Hartburn turn, was able to rebound and win the race. So Chase Elliott, I mean, should be the favorite. MTJ is a favorite, but Chase Elliott is the favorite. Brad Keselowski. Keselowski, again, quietly having one of the best seasons of his of his career. As I mentioned before, led some laps in this race last year, should be up front. Um again, another driver who has been in that championship for discussion with guys like Truex, with now guys like Chase Elliott. Uh, but Brad Keselowski, you know, just continuing to put together a fine, fine 2020 campaign, one of the best of his career. And I don't think it's being documented as much as it should be. And then your final two, I got Denny Hamlin at number two and Kevin Harvick at number one. Listen, Kevin Harvick is on top of the mountain until he makes mistakes, and he just hasn't. He has not made a mistake. Rodney Childers has not made a mistake atop the pit box. The crew, the pit crew have not made a mistake on pit road. Kevin Harvick seems to be getting better with age, and there's just no, there's no way he's going to get taken down until the final race at Phoenix. Denny Hamlin, yes, winning the race at Talladega, uh, punching his bid for the round of eight ahead of Harvick. I just still believe Kevin Harvick is at the top right now and has been all year. So those are my power rankings heading into the Charlotte Roval. And we will talk about the Roval and my predictions for that race in the next episode on Friday. But now I do want to talk about some silly season news. And maybe it was a blessing in disguise to wait to publish this episode on Wednesday because Yesterday, news broke that Alex Bowman will be replacing Jimmy Johnson in the 48 car in 2021. Alex Bowman, who's been piloting the 88 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet full-time for the past three years, has had quite the journey to where he is now. 
So I want to look at the timeline from Alex Bowman's first career start in NASCAR to now succeeding arguably the greatest driver of all time, definitely the greatest driver of our generation, in my opinion, the greatest driver of all time, Jimmy Johnson. So let's take a look at this, because I think it's very interesting. You asked me who Alex Bowman was four four or five years ago. What is that? Who the hell are you talking about? But Alex Bowman has had an unorthodox transition, I guess, to these to the higher series, especially the Cup Series. So let's talk about it for a second. Um, we see in today's NASCAR that drivers that move up the ranks must prove themselves in each lower series. When we look at just the rookie class this year, the the, the quote-unquote big three, Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, and Cole Custer, they all performed at the highest level of both Xfinity and Trucks. Bell won the 2017 Truck Championship, won 16 times in three Xfinity seasons. Reddick finished second in the 2015 Truck Series Championship, won back-to-back Xfinity Championships with Junior Motorsports and Richard Childress Racing, and Custer claimed two runner-up points finishes in Xfinity. And the thing is now, with so much talent coming out of the Xfinity Series, spots are limited. You know, we talk about Matt Benedetto, for example, and the uncertainty if he's going to return to the Wood Brothers. Austin Sindrick is down there in the Xfinity Series waiting and you better believe, as good of a road course racer as Matt Benedetto is, with six road courses on the schedule next year, and Austin Sindrick dominating road courses in the Xfinity Series, you better believe that they are looking at him for next year. You look at Chase Briscoe, who's won eight times this year, and as I mentioned before, with Clint Boyer, and the uncertainty if he's going to return to Stuart Haas Racing, you know, and the list goes on and on. Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, Ross Chastain, who will be piloting the 42 car next year for Chip Ganassi. You know, there is so much talent in these lower series, and it only seems to be getting more and more competitive. All these young kids, you know, just dominating. It's really, really incredible. And spots are limited. Look at Eric Jones getting ousted by Christopher Bell. Eric Jones, who when he was in the truck series was viewed as one of the you know one of the bright spots and one of the encouraging talents and now he doesn't know where he's racing in 2021 so there are so many drivers looking to make their mark and pro- looking to prove themselves that they are worthy of a cup series ride to drive in the highest level of uh, NASCAR but Alex Bowman's ascension to the top level was unorthodox compared to what we are seeing today. So let's take a look at a timeline. Alex Bowman was a member of NASCAR's inaugural NASCAR Next Class. He was along with drivers like Daniel Suarez, Bubba Wallace, Matt Benedetto, Corey LaJoy. Alex Bowman made his Xfinity Series debut in 2012 after having success in the Arkham Menard Series. He would run full-time in the 99 car for RAB Racing in 2013 with minor success. Secured two poles, six top tens, and a season-best finish of third in the Daytona 500. But unfortunately, Alex Bowman was released before the season finale at Homestead uh, due to lack of sponsorship. Now, Alex Bowman never ran a full-time Xfinity Series season. You know, he was close, but unfortunately had to get released uh, before Homestead, before that final race in 2013. And Alex Bowman's only made two starts in the Truck Series. But Alex Bowman would make the jump to the Cup Series in 2014 uh, because of his uh, mildly successful 2013 Xfinity Series campaign. He ran full-time in the 23 car for BK Racing, the Dr. Pepper car, 
And the highlight of that rookie campaign, finishing 13th in the Coke Zero 400, which was another just one of those super speedway races that you want to forget about. It was postponed due to rain, then it was rain shortened. It saw Eric Almarola get his first uh, Cup Series win. So that was the highlight for Alex Bowman there. And again, this is ju- this is awful equipment, and probably some of the worst in the Cup Series at the time. But he wouldn't make the transition to Tommy Baldwin Racing in 2015, ran full-time in the seventh car, had a best finish of 16th at Talladega. But the memorable moment for, I just think everybody, when Alex Bowman was first started to make make starts in the Cup Series, I think everybody just knew Alex Bowman as the guy who was whose car burst into flames at New Hampshire on pit road. But the pivotal moment for Alex Bowman was when he got the call to run nine races for Junior Motorsports in 2016, driving the 88 car. And Dale Jr. liked what he saw from the young driver. He finished top 10 all but twice in those nine races. And obviously, having that having that success, Dale Jr. Uh, took note of that. And, you know, unfortunately, Dale Jr., had to be sidelined with concussion concussion effects. We all know that story. Um, Alex Bowman would, would get the call to swap time with Jeff Gordon in replacing Junior when he was sidelined. And the big moment for Alex Bowman here was uh, at Phoenix, securing the pole, leading 194 laps. In great position was the, the dominant car all day to win that race, finished sixth, uh, ultimately finishing sixth after a late race scuffle on a restart with Matt Kenseth. But this is what earned him the respect of many, uh, especially Dale Jr. And it was Dale Jr. that really brought Alex Bowman uh, to the Cup Series. He earned the 88 Hendrix Motorsports Chevrolet. And Alex Bowman, in three years with the 88, has made the playoffs in every single year. Uh, broke through for his first Cup Series win at Chicagoland. Won at Auto Club earlier in 2020. And now in position to make the round of eight. And Alex Bowman getting called to succeed Jimmy Johnson, seven-time champion in the 48 car. You know, Alex Bowman, this guy who just kind of came out of nowhere, now first getting called to replace the most popular driver, now getting called to replace arguably the greatest of all time. I mean, there's some big, big, big shoes to fill, my man. (laughs) And Alex Bowman, I think he has a lot of potential. He is consistent, and he's got great personality. I think that fans should be excited. I think Ally and Ally Racing should be excited for Alex Bowman. Uh, Crew Chief Greg Ives will be joining him, so that pair will get even more molded together, I think, as the years go by. And I'm really excited for Alex Bowman. Again, when people in life tell you that you know it's not necessarily about what you do, it's about who you know in terms of getting your foot in the door, You know, Alex Bowman, five years ago, was running 35th, 30th at best for Tommy Baldwin Racing. His career was put on hold, got called on by Dale Jr., and Dale Jr. believed in him. And now he's getting the opportunity, had the opportunity to run for Hendrick Motorsports, and now has the opportunity to drive arguably one of the most famed cars in NASCAR history in the 48 car. So congratulations to Alex Bowman. You know, a lot of people were talking about Kyle Larson, Eric Jones, you know, even Brad Keselowski before he signed his uh, contract extension with Penske, you know, and there are still a lot of oddballs here. Kyle Larson over the weekend released a powerful essay on his website 
discussing the past couple of months and what he has been doing since being suspended by NASCAR. You know, Kyle Larson, who Tony Stewart has a bromance with, I mean, my God, uh, believes Kyle Larson is the most talented driver in the Cup Series. Kyle Larson has been annihilating the World of Outlaws Series. You know, and Kyle Larson, I do believe, deserves the second chance. You know, is that going to be with Hendrick Motorsports? You know, these announcements coming very, very close with each other. Kyle Larson now back in back in conversations. We still have heard nothing from Eric Jones. You know, will Kyle Larson drive the 88? Is the 88 still going to be on the roster? There were talks earlier, earlier uh, in the year that Hendrick Motorsports might be downsizing and that Alex Bowman would make the transition to the 48 and then the 88 car would get shut down. All those questions remain to be answered. But nonetheless, um, this was one of the biggest bombs to be dropped in silly season. Who was going to be replacing Jimmy Johnson in the 48? It is Alex Bowman. Give a lot of credit to Alex Bowman. I really think he earned this. And I, for one, as a Jimmy Johnson fan, uh, Jimmy Johnson being my favorite athlete of all time, I am excited. I cannot wait to see Alex Bowman in the 48 car for 2021. I think he's going to do great things. It was well-deserved for a guy, like I said, who was driving for awful equipment just five years ago, now getting his chance to continue the legacy of the 48 car. Congratulations. So that's going to do it for today's episode of The Shakedown. I appreciate you all for tuning in. Be sure to follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at ShakedownPod. Be sure to connect with me on Twitter to continue the conversation over there. That Twitter is at MVBachman. That is M-V-B-A-C-H-M-A-N-N. If you would like to subscribe to the YouTube channel, that link will be in the description of this episode. Uh, That will be launched very, very soon with some bonus content as well as segments of the episodes. Uh, But I will be back on Friday to preview the final race of the round of 12 at the Charlotte Roval, and we will debrief on any news that comes out over the next couple of days. I appreciate you all. Hope you have a fantastic rest of the week. This is Mike Bachman signing off. We'll see you on Friday.